This is Maxine and the Planets Unknown, a sci-fi audiobook in podcast form, written by, performed by, and produced by Brad Lawrence. That's me, to quote Karina Longworth. Before we get started, one small note on the sound quality. I am not recording this in a studio. I am recording this in the tiny side room of my Brooklyn apartment during a pandemic. All around my apartment are the sounds of ambulance sirens because of the pandemic and children trying to get just a little bit of outdoor time on the concrete splotch that passes for a backyard in an apartment in Brooklyn. So, I have done my absolute best to soundproof against this as much as I can, but Brooklyn, pandemic, ambulances, children. For God's sake, think of the children. And do your best to enjoy what I think is a pretty good story, in spite of what may be some occasionally imperfect audio. Thank you. Maxine and the Planets Unknown Episode 5, Chapters 9 and 10 Chapter Nine. The gaming center was dark, except for a display screen over the refreshment counter. It rotated through a set of menu items, mostly junk food and sugary drinks, and then a cycle of animations, talking things that usually did not talk. Meteors, habitat ships, various animals, the cartoon versions of which were the only versions most of the passengers of the Contiki had ever seen. This included that badger from that movie or book that Maxine and pretty much everybody else liked so much. This one caught Sumner's attention for a second because it was the only thing in the room that he had any familiarity with, that and the faux antique air hockey table. Well, Faux antique when they launched, so perhaps a genuine antique now. At any rate, Sumner had been a sure hand at that air hockey table as a teenager. There had also been an old pinball game, but it had broken and been recycled when Sumner was in his 20s. He watched the little cartoon varmint traipse across the display in its old-fashioned brown coat, the way he watched a suspect for telltale giveaways of guilt or violent intent. Then he turned back to the empty room. In full light, the walls were a blend of gray intercut with muted teal accents, which was likely part of the reason that it was almost never in full light. Mostly, the overheads were kept around 40% with a few directed spots on some of the table games. All the other light in the place was provided by the display-based games or the ads. Sumner had noticed that the emigres had a strange relationship with darkness. This was kind of the only place on the ship where the lights were down by choice. There was a scheduled sunset in the habitat bay. The light would gradually decrease until it mimicked a planetary night. This was to keep everyone's circadian rhythms operating in a way that staved off the psychosis of the undreaming. But generally, people avoided the dark in a way that Sumner felt went beyond the primitive fear of predators in the midnight wood. 
He thought it reminded people that they lived in a tin can surrounded by a darkness that would first crush them, then leach the air from their lungs, then freeze them solid, and preserve them in their panic and horror to be passed by in silence by the next tin can down the line. The emigre chat boards were full of colonists who, later, long after they had landed, almost all fell into long, poetic discourses on space and how much they missed the romance of the big black, that awe-inspiring nothingness staring back at you as though it could see into your very soul, and how it really lent you some much-needed perspective. There was some truth to this. There were a couple of places in any colony ship where passengers could, in fact, see outside the ship. But most people visited those spots once, maybe twice in their lifetimes. And that was enough. There was another light source that was conspicuously absent, the luminescent design accents of the VR coffins which lined the far wall. There were five of them in a row, and the space where there should have been a sixth, there was instead a corridor, which led to four branching hallways with more VR coffins. This made for a total of 45. Normally, these things were bathed in a cold blue glow from lines of glowing accent trim that served no purpose, so far as Sumner could tell, beyond making them look... enticing, maybe? Sumner didn't see the point. If you left the comfort and privacy of your own in-home entertainment system for one of these full immersion booths, it wasn't because you needed to be romanced. You knew what you were there for. But even those lights were out now. Most of them. Sumner could see that there was a shine coming from one of those back corridors. In some weird reversal, that light made that corner seem all the darker. Apparently, Sumner also had the emigre suspicion that all darkness held bad news, because he started to scan around the room for a weapon. There was nothing. He edged toward the far end of the room and the darkened wall of coffins. He spared a glance back toward the light streaming in from the door through which he'd entered. No help there. He started around the corner into the corridor. The first branch off to his left terminated in inky blackness. How is it an absence can feel so full, even when you are a grown man and you know better? Sumner put his left hand out on the separating wall that came up between coffin rows and steadied himself, and then moved forward. Another blade of blackness, another separating wall. Then he was to the row with the lit-up coffin. He had to stop for a minute and take a breath. He also had to wonder what was wrong with him. He was filled with a kind of leg-stealing fear unlike anything he'd ever felt. He was in the game center. He was in the place he had grown up and lived his entire life with the people he knew best, was there any place in this universe where he was safer? Back in his room, under his covers, doors locked. No. Forward. Do the job. But what if the threat was something else? 
They were on a planet now. Holy shit, that was obvious. That was why he felt this way. This was some animal part of his back brain that sensed they'd gotten it wrong. The scans were bullshit. There were predators here, and they had found their way onto the ship, and it was going to be like a buffet spread. He could see it in his mind's eye. Some enormous reticulated mass of black goo filled with bones and teeth and lifeless eyes like glass. That was specific. That was no random image. That had come tumbling out of the deepest recesses of Sumner's childhood. There had been a rage for horror movies set on deep spaceships that had started even before Sumner had been born. Some tech genius on Earth had managed to turn a old Earth entertainment, a flat screen thing called Alien, and turn it into a convincingly immersive VR program. Then... They had data blasted it out to all the colony ships en route. It was a wildfire success and had created a space-bound horror craze. The one that had been the biggest hit when Sumner had become old enough to figure out his way around the parental controls that prevented kids from downloading things that would give them nightmares or unrealistic expectations about what sex would be like was a VR called Flesh Burrowers. It was about a kind of sentient slime from space that seeps its way onto a colony ship, tunnels under the skin of the passengers, and then turns itself into a chaos of claws, teeth, spikes, and grinding, rippling bones until it shreds the victim from the inside out. In spite of the title, and the script, and the ludicrous excuses for nudity, the film was actually pretty good at delivering a solid scare. This was basically due to some first-rate special effects, clever pacing, and keeping everything dark to the point of near blackness until right at the moment the slime attacked. Cut to a young Sumner sitting upright in his bed, staring directly ahead. Then his dad standing in the doorway. Uh, what are you doing up? Sumner. Nothing. Sumner was aware that he was afraid of a monster from a VR. Very afraid. But to admit that he was afraid would be to admit that he had done this to himself and that he had gotten around the parental controls his parents had set in place, thus ratting himself out. So, he would just have to be afraid. I'm... Tired now, and I, I think I will go to sleep, Father. Thank you and good night. His dad had twitched up an eyebrow. Uh, all right. Good night, son. There was a reason Sumner would go into law enforcement and not the theatrical arts. But he stuck it out. In his memory, even his adult memory, he laid awake for several months. In reality, it had been about a week and a half. But the intensity of childhood fear cannot be overestimated. Every night of that week and a half, he would lay there staring at the ceiling and the darkness around him would mutate and crawl, growing and twisting at the corners of his vision. When he turned his head, the shifting black specter of death would disappear. It would disappear because it had never been there. It was a child's imagination, but a child's imagination, even a child like Sumner, knows that does not matter. 
The make-believe, the things of VR and comics and the idle mind left to play out on the mysterious corners of their world, those things were always just a closed eye away from finding their way through whatever thin barrier separated the real from the unreal. A child's imagination knows itself, and it knows it can will any of the horrors it harbors into existence. If the clawed and ridge-spined slime of flesh burrowers was no longer on the ceiling, it was because it was crawling up the foot of his bed. Now... As the adult Sumner made his way through the darkened game center, the slime of flesh burrowers had returned from the darkest memories of his childhood and begun to drip down every surface that lied just beyond Sumner's peripheral vision. He could also feel that same childhood fear unwrapping itself from his spine and crawling towards his awareness. It was precisely the throwback to formative years quality of this fear that allowed Sumner to finally shake it off. That was something he'd been afraid of as a child. He was not a child now. He was a grown man doing a grown man's job. He stood up straight and came around the corner and looked down the Bay of Coffins. There it was, third one down, left-hand side. It was all lit up, though it seemed to be starting to glitch a bit. A falter ran through the lights at odd intervals, along with a strange ozone tinkling sound. But no alien creatures, no black slime. Sumner proceeded down to the coffin. He listened for a second, but couldn't hear anything, though these things were designed to keep sound from bleeding out, so... The silence meant nothing. Then he gave a little rap on the door panel with his knuckles. Hey in there. This is Sheriff Sumner. No response. This is Sheriff Sumner, and the game center is closed. I'm going to need you to come on out. Maybe they were soundproofed to the outside noise as well? During his emergency services training... He had learned that all of these things had an emergency release to the bottom right of the door panel, just a little inconspicuous lever built into the shell that released all the seals. He reached down, popped it up once, the door released and opened out, and the smell almost dropped him. Then, Sumner found himself standing at the door of his quarters, thumbing the keypad. It was the click of the lock as it released that nudged him back to awareness. It was like waking up from a loud noise in the night, that kind of delayed shock from a startle that is already a half-second past by the time you're truly conscious. The difference being that Sumner was standing up. He was fully dressed, and it was daylight. Some part of his mind noted that it was actual daylight and not space-regulated artificial daylight, but that was not an immediate concern. Where, where had he been right before this? Where was he? When his mind probed around, he found a muddle. A jumbled mercury of images that slid out from under his finger whenever he pressed too hard. 
It was the smell, still faint on his clothes, that allowed him to pin down something concrete. He'd been in the gaming center. He'd been eight years old in the gaming center, about to be ripped apart by the flesh burrower that lived there now. No. Jesus. What was that? He shook that off. He'd been in the gaming center because someone had been in one of the VR coffins. They'd been in there long enough to start to stink. He remembered flipping the release. He remembered opening the door. He remembered the smell, a thick and sickening sweetness. Who had it been? Were they... Were they dead? Why couldn't he remember? His hand was still on the keypad. Looking at it, he suddenly had another memory flash through his mind. He was knocking on the door of one of his part-time deputies, Jose Rivard. Jose had talked him through the keypad screen. Sumner remembered feeling put off that Jose hadn't just opened the door. He'd meant to say as much. Then he was back at his own door. Then he remembered... Going to the dock's place, Sandoval had let him in. He remembered they had talked. He was asking her, what? What was he asking her? She'd seemed impatient. She'd invited him in, but she clearly wanted him to leave. He couldn't quite drag up what they'd discussed. Had she seen anyone? What? That was at least part of it. He needed to know if she had seen anyone, but, but why? Because the streets... The streets are empty. The gaming center was empty. Then he was in his apartment putting on his jacket. Then he was at the emergency station. No one was there. There was always someone there. Then he was hanging his jacket on the hook by the door. Then the gaming center was empty. Except it wasn't. Someone was in the VR coffins. Then he was opening the door to his place. Then he was calling the direct line to the brass and no one was answering. Then... There was someone in the VR coffin, and he had flipped the release, and it had opened, and it was Charlie Bennett, head of the select committee. Jesus, Sumner, shut the damn door! He was very involved in a VR plot. The interruption had been unwelcome. Then Sumner was in his residence, sitting on his bed, putting his boots on. Then he was opening the VR coffin again. Charlie? Charlie glanced up, seemingly unconcerned about his overall state, which was bad. Shut the door, Sumner. I'm, uh, I'm doing something. I'm doing something. Shut the damn door. Sumner was at the dock's place, but she wouldn't answer. Then he was opening the VR coffin. Charlie had most of his clothes off. His lips were blue, and his eyes were glazed. His breathing was labored. Some, some, some. Then he was opening the door of his quarters. Then he was taking a deep breath. Then he was thinking he should just go back to bed. Then he was flipping the release on the VR coffin. Charlie Bennett was dead. Dead long enough to stink. Jesus, Sumner thought. How many times had he done this? Chapter 10 That had felt amazing, truly amazing. Maxine was sure it had been the best vomit ever. Like a river of joy and possibility suddenly springing out of her because it simply couldn't be contained. It was miraculous. It was a miracle vomit. 
It was all the light she had ever contained deep down in her being, and now she had put it out into this glorious new world. She was sad that no one else had been here to see it. Though now, as she hovered over the spot in the rocks where it had pooled and the smell began to reach her nostrils, she had to admit that its awesomeness was wearing off just a little bit. She sat up. Her body felt loose but alert. Like all the signals from her fingers and toes had an unhindered path straight to her brain, a clear shot with no interruptions. She sat there for a moment just squeezing the bed of her shoes with her toes and smiling, just smiling. Shoes were great. Then she heard it again. The sound, the sound that had brought her down this way, the stream, it sounded like it wanted to be found, and she was the one to do the finding. She hauled herself up onto the rocks and got to her feet. A full-body shiver worked its way through her, and she shook herself like a wet dog. Then she broke into a grin so big and so intense that it felt like for a minute like it, like it might be the only thing, the only thing she would ever do again. This grin, this grin would take everything she had to maintain it for the rest of her life. This was going to be a full-time job, a life's calling, just standing here in this forest on this planet, grinning this beautiful and important grin so that it was always here, always here in the universe for anyone who wanted to come and experience it and be a part of it, be a part of the grin. Then she was briefly hungry. Then she was heading down the path toward the stream. This has been Maxine and the Planets Unknown by Brad Lawrence. Intro music, Bumbling, by Pictures of the Floating World. Outro music, Children by the Creek, by Chad Crouch. Thank you for listening. Thank you.